0: This is Coast to Coast. I'm Carol Masser.
1: And I'm Corey Johnson. We're here every day bringing the latest news in the world of business and finance.
0: And the most interesting stories in global technology from Silicon Valley and beyond, powered by our more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries.
1: You can download Coast to Coast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 o'clock Eastern only on Bloomberg Radio.
0: indeed. Year after year, study after study, we hear that diversity. Yep, it does matter when it comes to profitability, returns on investment, stock performance, economic growth, and so much more. Making the business case for diversity, that's what we're talking about for the next hour. Our guest host for the hour, Glory Larson, president of Bentley University. She joins us from Bloomberg, uh, our 106.1 studio in Boston. First of all, Happy New Year.
2: Happy New Year to you and Corey both. It's great to have
0: you here. Here we are another new year, and we're talking about about this because it is an important issue, Gloria, but we've been talking about it for decades.
2: Yeah, we have. And as we've been talking about for a very long time, not just the social case, but the business case has been repeatedly made. And in fact, every year it gets deeper. And yet when we look at the road ahead, particularly beyond middle management, um, we still don't see the gender diversity and certainly not the people of color diversity that we should by now. So it continues to be an incredibly important topic. What I think is encouraging, though, is we're seeing CEOs, Fortune 500, Fortune 500, in the Fortune 1000 really take this issue up with um, a real accelerated pace and all, also an intensity that I've not seen before. Uh, the CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion has almost 200 companies that have already signed up, and they're committed to having a more not just diverse but a more well-included, a more inclusive workplace too.
1: Laura, I would totally agree with that. I think we're hearing things we haven't ever heard before um but and and i'm also encouraged you know encouraged the wrong word uh i'm glad to hear you say uh talking about uh people of color and and other people who are excluded from the workforce i feel like the conversation over the course of the last year has been uh limited to the very important issue of women in the workplace uh and and issues of sexual harassment but has the conversation also kind of ended there
2: could not agree more and when you think about diversity and inclusion it's It's ethnic uh, inclusion. It's uh, religious inclusion. It's international, global inclusion. It's LGBTQ. So let's add let's
1: add age into that too.
2: Let's say <laughs> I'm with you on that.
1: Every uh, year, that because a more and more important issue <laughs> to me.
2: But what? But I think part of the focus, the reason that we talk so much about um, race and ethnicity and gender is because the studies have really shown repeatedly that when you look at those broad classifications, we can really see the case that's made. Um, for example, McKinsey's been doing this work for a long time. Credit Suisse has been taking a look at diversity, too, and the ROI that companies get from broadening diversity and inclusion all the way up the ladder to the corner suite makes a huge difference in the bottom line. And I feel like we've said that for 20 years, but every year the data gets better. And yet at the same time we know the numbers are still not where they should be. For example, the Fortune 500 is only up to 6.1% women. <laughs> and for those of us who weren't math majors, that means 32 women out of 500. And guess what? Only two women of color on that list, the first Latina woman uh, now heading PG&E out in your world, Corey. So, um, so there's still a lot That's of work the electric to be world. done. Yes. Well, electric and gas.
1: So
2: there's a lot lot of hot air coming out. (laughs) (laughs) Gloria, you know what's interesting, though? I know, I
0: know, I know. I had an extra cup of coffee here. Hey, you know, what's interesting, though, is I feel like um, the conversation also going on is that because we have been talking about this for a long time and we've seen the research, the studies that shows when you have a diverse workforce, you tend to have a financially more viable uh, and better performing company. And yet I feel like until we have... African-Americans, more women, more minorities, more people of um, the gay community, the homosexual community, the more that we have in those higher positions in a company or an organization, that's when we're going to finally see it trickle
2: down. And until we break that barrier, I feel like it's not going to happen. Totally agree with you. And that's why I think that, um, although the proof will be in the results, that's why I think this CEO action for diversity and inclusion is important, because having CEOs themselves show up at a summit that I was lucky to, Attend a couple Mm -hmm. of months ago and say we are making this a top one, two, three, four, five imperative in our companies. We're pledging it very publicly, um, and people can take note of this, and they can start to look for the results. I think it's when CEOs uh, and their boards of directors and the entire C-suite say, we're going to force this to trickle down because we're going to actually walk the talk ourselves, and we're going to be looking at the data, and we're going to be making differences, and we're doing this very publicly. So, you know what? Maybe that's a missing piece that we've not seen in the past.
0: I do want to bring in Katie Lampley, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Bentley University with Gloria uh, in our one oh six one studio in Boston. Katie, diversity and inclusion, both
3: important, but they kind of are two different things and steps in the process, correct? Absolutely. Um, There's a consultant named Verna Myers, and she talks about the difference between diversity and inclusion in this way. She says diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. I love that. Say that one more time. Inclusion is being invited to the party. I mean, diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. And I love it. I think it's such... uh, um, A creative way of explaining the difference between the two because it's not just the numbers it's not just who's in the room it's whether or not they feel like they can participate fully that their ideas are being valued and that they're having an impact on the way that work is being done
1: so when I was a college student in the days before um,
3: was there uh, even light
1: there was a there's a lamp uh, so these, these conversations <laughs> happen on campus, and I. And I but that, that, you know, here we are in a workplace in you know, a generation later, and, and we're still seeing some of the same com, kind of problems. I guess we'll, we'll get to a conversation about, you know, what this means on campus, but it seems like that's where it's going to start, but maybe continue.
3: Yeah, and I think colleges are a really unique place, in you know, to explore and to build the skills that are necessary for creating inclusive environments. It's one thing to have the conversation, but to actually practice and develop the skill set that allows you to... Be effective in an inclusive environment is really important, and colleges can provide that environment for that kind of practice. And
0: you guys are doing some unique things, which we're going to drill down into uh, in our next block and continue this conversation because it's really pretty um, wild what you guys are doing. And I'm I'm curious to find out
1: what the results are. So we're still with Gloria Larson here. Uh, she's uh, of course uh, up at Bentley University, as well as the uh, Bentley's Director of Diversity and Inclusion, Katie Lampman. Katie, I want to pick up where we left off there. This notion actually, Gloria, let me throw this to you. This notion of How to keep the discussion from college going into the post-college years so the discussions that were held on campuses in the 1970s aren't uh, forgotten in the boardrooms of the the late 1970s and thus has been the case for so long.
2: Well, what I think is interesting is that millennials and their new younger siblings, the, the Z-Gen, bring a very different view of diversity and inclusion to the table. In fact, they think they already inhabit a diverse and inclusive world. They're far more open. Here we are a Business University, and our kids are you know very open about LGBTQ and about the type of gender and racial diversity that they see, but they, they're really keyed on diversity of thought and perspective. So how do we encourage the kinds of conversations at the in the right way so that they take this smart critical thinking that they it almost comes to them naturally but it needs to be fostered and expanded um, and that's one of the things that Katie through some of our programming on campus has done to really good effect and I think there are things that can be spread to other campuses
1: I've got to say that you know so my my, my daughter uh, my youngest daughter who's 10 and not yet applied to Bentley. Not yet.
2: <laughs> I put that acceptance letter in the <laughs> vault. That <No>, we appreciate, <laughs> that. Um,
1: We were watching a movie the other day, and there was an African American character who was being who was wasn't getting some opportunities in the movie, and she couldn't understand it. And she was asking her older sister, and her older sister sent her to me. She said, "Dad, why why don't they like her? Why don't they let her go there?" I was like, "Oh, it's because she's black, and it's a movie, and you can't even conceive of this idea." I think that that's true. That this generation might have a different, a really truly different and original notion. I, we can only hope so. Uh, that that, that's the case, I would imagine, Katie.
3: Well, yeah, and I think what's different from maybe when you were in college having these conversations is the focus was on diversity. It was on celebrating diversity, understanding there was diversity there. But I think the conversation now is really about inclusion. It's about why is this person – Not being given the opportunities that everybody else is. And that's, I think, the conversation that Generation X, Generation Z is really having right now is focused on the inclusive, the inclusiveness of what's happening around them. They take diversity for granted that that diversity is just going to be there, um, but they don't, you know, they, they want to embrace inclusion.
2: Well, so talk teams. Of, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Carol. Well, I was gonna
0: say talk about embracing include inclusion. You know, Katie, one of the guys and Gloria, one of the things that you guys are doing at Bentley is giving students the option to live in specialized housing that focuses on themes, social justice, women's leadership and global living. Um, I'm fascinated about this. Like what goes on in these living environments? Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that.
3: Yeah. And I think this is important because uh, colleges are moving beyond just creating opportunities for learning these skills in the classroom and adding that into residential spaces. Certainly it's happening in athletic spaces, service learning, things like that. But in the residential floors, they pair the floor with a faculty member. They have um, classes that they take together. So they're exploring some of these themes in an academic environment. But then they're also doing it as part of team activities on the floor, um, in conversations with the faculty member, assigned to the floor, and quite frankly, it's the diversity that exists on the floor that creates the opportunity um, in a residential space to have those interactions that allow you to challenge some of your assumptions and allow you to find new perspectives.
2: And I think you need to have some uh, construct around that. You need to organize these conversations. A lot of it should just be free-flowing. It's what's happening and talked about in the dorms. But talk a little bit about some of the things we're doing to see that deeper understanding around unconscious bias and uh, and around difficult conversations that maybe people are reluctant to have, especially business-minded students who know in the workplace it might be uncomfortable to talk about politics
3: or race or gender. Right. And we've taken a pretty strong stance about Um, you know, we believe it's important to have safe spaces, but we're really investing in creating brave spaces. So those opportunities for brave engagement across difference that allow students to really uh, examine their own assumptions, to hear new perspectives, and to wrestle with some of those ideas, not to change their minds, but to broaden their horizons, broaden their um, ability to have some of those difficult conversations. And a good example is SGA sponsored our student Government Association sponsored a conversation about the NFL protests. And so we had students engaging, not in whether it was right or wrong, but in why they felt um, the way that they did, what the emotional reactions were that they were having to some of the protests. And that's difficult conversation to have, especially when people are coming from different places, but also from emotionally um, heavy places. And if you can engage in that kind of a conversation um, and practice that, then when you get into the workforce, you're even more skilled at doing it when you get onto a global team, for example. So it's important to um, move into these brave spaces and give opportunities for this practice.
1: That's really interesting, the discussion of why you think that instead of what you think.
3: Yes, yes. And I don't think we ask those questions very much. There's a sociologist named Alan Johnson who says, you know, in talking across difference, what frightens us is not what is not what we don't know, but what we think we do know. That when we assume somebody, you know, we know their perspective, we don't have the opportunity to learn from that.
0: Can I throw in social media, though, and, you know, how it can create kind of um, this dangerous loop, a dangerous echo chamber of, you know, just kind of one, one way of thought. And social media is so influential on a younger generation. How do you guys kind of work that in? Just got about 40 seconds.
3: We use it um, uh, to help. So we use it to promote events. But but. It has to be face-to-face. We have to get people outside of the algorithms that give them the news that they think they want and that, you know, allows them to hear perspectives that are outside of what they might normally be exposed to. Really fascinating. You guys are seeing a difference, Katie, just quickly? Absolutely. I think students are willing to engage if you ask the questions and you give them the space. And that's what we're trying to do is create those opportunities in a structured way, obviously, but give them the question mm. and allow them to wrestle with it. Not the, you know, debate, but right. the dialogue.
0: Right. Kind of the space to just be with it and sit with it. Um, Katie Lampley, thank you. Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Bentley University. Gloria Larson going to stay with us. Our conversation, making the business case for diversity. Gloria, president of Bentley University. Bentley, a strategic partner of Bloomberg Radio. This is Bloomberg. case for diversity always important to look at a topic such as this one from different angles different perspectives and now for the view from the business sector let's dig into that joining us is Don Fraser Bonnert, senior vice president and chief diversity and inclusion officer at Liberty Mutual joining us on the phone today also of course in our Bloomberg 1061 studio in Boston still with us Gloria Larson our guest host for this hour president of Bentley University Don first of all I'm curious what's the biggest struggle in building a diverse and inclusive workforce
4: Oh, my goodness. Well, so First of all, thank you for having me on. And Gloria, it's nice to hear your voice, and I'm really enjoying the program and excited about what's happening in universities as we uh, continue to bring in talent to liberty. I think one of the, the biggest challenges is there's, there is so much to do, um, and it's helping um, employees, helping our leaders understand and build skill so that they can they can build the concepts that really create the inclusive environment that we all want into their everyday work so that we can be most productive and really meet the changing needs of our customers.
1: So, that, you know, it's interesting to see companies do this because at the I saw a lot of uh, commentary about Oprah's commentary the other night, right? And it was about this is about um, changing the conversation, but this isn't activism, activism is doing something. Where you guys are is it's doing something or having the opportunity to do something at least, but that's expensive and that requires changing the way you do business. What's What's one change you guys have made in the last year to make things, uh, to make the outcomes different?
4: Well, I think one of the things that we've also looked at, as I heard earlier in the program, we've been at this work, um, especially in the U.S. for a while and we haven't seen the change we want to see. So we decided early on, that we weren't going to do it the same way, that we really needed to step back. And what do they say? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result is crazy. So we felt that one of the things that we weren't doing and wanted to do well and better was to include everyone. So I think you know, it's so easy that the conversation um, quickly, as I think Gloria was talking about uh, being about gender or usually about women or people of color, and what we stepped back and said is we really need to talk about what this means for everyone, really looking at that definition of diversity broadly. And to make things even more complex is to talk about intersectionality. It isn't enough just to talk about one dimension. We have to think about our whole selves which means as multiple dimensional people, you know, this creates even a greater challenge around how to include everyone in the conversation, or as Katie was saying early, or as Verne Myers says, you know, bringing, making sure everybody's dancing, you know, at the party. So, We've really looked at this a bit differently in order to actually get a different result. And I think the way we've approached it, really broadening the definition, helping people understand how diversity and inclusion are both required uh, in order to get the kind of results we want to get has been really helpful. Don, you all have done some
2: uh, really creative things at Liberty, I think, well ahead of the curve. And I think it might be interesting to hear a little bit about the insights you've gained from the unconscious bias um, training that you've done, exploration mm-hmm. and training, uh, as well as a focus that you all share with an emphasis we have at the Center for Women in Business on using men as allies um, and not making those just catchphrases but actually figuring out ways to use your entire workforce to actually build inclusion
4: absolutely thank you um glory for for addressing those well the unconscious bias awareness work was really the foundation and i have to say it was a very easy way to include everyone in the conversation because basically we said hey if you've got a brain you've got bias so at the very beginning as we started and doing this work everyone was in this is not yeah, about anyway, some... that's why it's
1: lucky i'm not that smart
4: <laughs> some versus others, everybody has read everybody has this opportunity to grow their skill, and I really think that that helped everyone feel like, okay, this is not about some. Uh, we all have work to do everyone, nobody's exempt from that, and we continue to build on that. One of the things that we've said is you know you, you don't go through a program like that and you're finished, you always have to continue to work hard. Um, to disrupt those biases that come up. And so we've built that into, you know, our calibration uh, meetings when we look at talent or we, when we think about recruitment. We've really tried to make it something, you know, that's, that's not a something you have to think about. It's something that's, part, you know, part of our work. Um, and we continue. I mean, we, we, we're not, we're not uh, planting a flag on victory, but we know that we've got the right components in place to really build. Don, if you –
0: Oh, go ahead. Please, Gloria.
4: No, no, no. I was going to say I was going to get to Gloria's um, other area, but please let me stop uh, uh, if you have a response to that.
0: No, I was just going to say 30 seconds, unfortunately, left. But I'm just curious, if you had one piece of advice for companies to, to, to create that diverse and inclusive workforce, you guys have been working at it for some time, just quickly, what would it be?
4: I would say include everybody as part of the solution. I think that often diversity, and we understand where it's come from, ends up being very narrow, we have taken this approach that Gloria just mentioned around men as allies because we've said we've got to look at everybody seeing how they can actually improve their own, um, mm-hmm. how they can include their own effective leadership. Right. Include, it, 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 it can't be just some. It has to be everyone. So I would say if you're looking at your programs or your employee resource groups or those things and you find that they're very narrow. Got it. Um, I would suggest thinking about broadening that. Be
0: inclusive. It makes sense. Don Fraser Bonnert, Senior Vice President, Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Liberty Mutual. Thank you so much. This is Bloomberg.
1: Lori Larson still with us right now and joining us as well. Bernie Milano uh, joins the. President of the KPMG Foundation, uh, with this discussion of diversity uh, in the workforce and the changes it makes on business. And, and Bernie, I think um, it's interesting to me when we talk about uh, uh, diversity in the workplace and inclusion in the workplace, the distinction, of course, we've been making all hour, um, what that means for market share for companies. What does it mean?
5: Well, I mean – You can't have an organization that's going to function in any society, any community that is so different from that society or that community. So uh, I think the research is pretty uh, obvious. Uh, It's been done over, as someone mentioned earlier, uh, decades uh, that uh, diversity certainly helps with market share. It helps with the, the performance of an organization, helps to attract people to the organization, helps with retention, I mean, really, diversity is key to the success of any organization.
2: Hey, Bernie, it's Gloria Larson. Glad to have Hi. you on the show. Uh, talk a little bit about what you're doing in concert with colleges and universities, as well as the K-12 system, because I think it's been such a focus, and it's so far-sighted to start with the next generation to figure out how we can, and the college campuses to figure out how we can do this better in terms of preparation.
5: Yeah, well, thank you. I it, And I really applaud Bentley, um, not just because you're on the program, but for the last several years, Bentley has been put a program on for our Ph.D. project professors. These are African, Hispanic, and Native Americans who uh, recently received their doctorate. It's a program we've been running for 23 years. But the thing that was missing in most of the doctoral programs is the uh, uh, ability to, to teach people to really – Uh, The very effective teachers in the classroom. That might be a surprise to some, but doctoral programs don't uh, stress that. But Bentley put together a program called Strategies for Success in the college classroom, and it's been a home run. Uh, Our people are so much better prepared now because of that. But uh, we believe in something that's systemic. Uh, Someone mentioned earlier about diversity and inclusion and, you know, what are the issues? Well, the issues in many ways is really the absence of of a pool, the absence of uh, people of color who are getting degrees in business, and that's really where most of our organizations end up getting their their talent. Uh, I was responsible for recruiting uh, for this for KPMG for many years, very frustrated about not being able to find students of color studying business. So we took a systemic approach. We decided that we had to change the culture of the university classroom Uh, with programs that are aimed at attracting uh, students of color into the classroom to get there and see their culture not being supported. It was a recipe for disaster. So we started the program PhD project to uh, encourage African, Hispanic, Native Americans to earn their doctorates and become business school professors. Uh, Nonprofits are always looking for ways to measure and, and show results. Well, we've more than quadrupled the number of Quote, unquote, minority faculty in business schools. Uh, it's been an absolute home run. And we know now that in the presence of uh, minority faculty, there's an increase in the number of minority students studying business. So much of it is about the supply. Why, why don't why don't we have more people of color in business and moving up the ranks? Well, in many cases, it's a lack of surprise, supply. Wow. If you talk to
0: It's like basic economics, right?
5: (laughs) Well, it is. If you talk to people, they frequently say we'd like to be more diverse, but, quote, we can't find any. Well, that's why we approach this systemically. Uh, To Gloria's point, we run a program um, at the K-3 level, if you can believe that, (laughs) trying to uh, deal with uh, literacy. We've now uh, read to uh, children and distributed over 3 million books to children in inner-city elementary schools. Uh, We're very heavy support of a program with Junior Achievement uh, called Finance Park, which is aimed at middle school children, again, primarily in the inner-city underserved schools, partnering with the National Academies Foundation at the high school level to enable them to present uh, career academies, Uh, again, trying to encourage students of color to think about business. They they, they don't have a sense of uh, awareness of career in business. Uh, They uh, they have awareness of of, of teaching. They have an awareness of working in in social uh, organizations, but business is not necessarily something that they become directly exposed to. So working literally K through 12, lots of programs we're supporting at at the college level, but really the capstone is the PhD project. To have have a faculty member in the classroom uh, of color, sends such a huge message, not just to the students of color, but, but to the uh, majority students. It might be their first exposure to a person of color who is the knowledge expert, who is the person who uh, is helping them advance themselves in their own, uh, their own studies and their own careers. So, yeah, you- we, we take a very systemic approach to it.
2: Bernie, what do you have on the horizon at the foundation? What would you like to do to sort of deepen and accelerate progress?
5: Well, the big thing we're doing now, we're very concerned about the lack of, uh, again, we're going back to the university. It's it's got to be where the the product, excuse the phrase, where the product is produced. There are so few uh, deans of business of color, so few uh, provosts of color, so few presidents of color. These all send very, very uh, important messages to the students, both majority students and minority students. So we're working with search firms, we're working with uh, AACSB, the accrediting body for schools of business, to encourage our tenured professors to think about becoming deans of business schools, becoming department heads. Uh, just this morning, I talked to an African-American female that came through the PhD project about a dean opportunity at a really fine school in Philadelphia. So yeah, we, we're we're really trying, I hate to keep saying this, but if we don't systemically change what is happening in the sourcing of talent, we're always going to be frustrated about not having enough diversity in the workforce.
0: Wow. I think that's really powerful, uh, systemic changes. Bernie Milani, thank you so much. President of the KPMG Foundation on the phone. Gloria, I'm listening to that and I'm listening to the progress that he has made with the PhD project. Um, it takes a lot of work, but you can make a difference.
2: Yeah, and it couldn't be more important. I would underscore what he said about the impact it has on the next generation. It's an expectation for millennials and Gen Zs that they're going to enter a workplace that's diverse. Um, they believe that inclusion is just part and parcel of what society should be now, and it's up to us to provide that environment long before they get to the work world. And it's been just as much missing in higher ed as it is in the corporate world. And I think in the last 10 years... We We've all mounted a real campaign to try to change that. Um, but now, and I think this goes back to something Corey said earlier, now I think we're at a tipping point because I think genuinely everybody gets it. It's what Don said. Uh, we all get it, regardless of gender, race. We see this as an economic imperative for the future, success of the company, for, for companies, for the U.S. and for the world. Gloria,
0: thank you so much. This was a great discussion. Um, Really, really thoughtful. The Business Case for Diversity. Gloria Larson, our thanks to her, president of Bentley University, Bentley's strategic partner of Bloomberg Radio. And you are listening to Bloomberg. Find out uh, a little bit about what this uh, next company is up to right now because we've got a big thing underway in San Francisco, J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference underway. A lot of news that comes out, and we want to know exactly what Quest Diagnostics is doing at the conference and get a little outlook on the business. Steve Roskowski is uh, Chief Executive Officer of Quest Diagnostics. They are based in Secaucus, New Jersey, but as I mentioned, at that J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference on the West Coast. Steve, nice to have you here with Corey Johnson and myself. Um, tell me a little bit about. The atmosphere uh, for your business and kind of healthcare overall, especially just coming off of the tax overhaul plan that we got out of Washington, how will that impact you as a company and the decisions that you're going to make in running your business?
6: Yeah, first of all, thanks for having us and appreciate the time on the on the call. It's an exciting conference out here in San Francisco. And, uh, um, one of the topics that, uh, we have been asked about and you're asking about is what's, uh, tax reform going to mean to, to Quest Diagnostics. And, and for us, it's actually a very positive, uh, opportunity. Uh, we are a full paid taxpayer. Uh, we are primarily a U.S. company with about 98% of our revenues in the United States. And so our tax rate, corporate tax rate will go from about 35% to And so what we shared last year uh, with anticipation of this is if, in fact, that were to happen and now it's a reality, uh, we would take some portion of those uh, proceeds and give it to shareholders, maybe in the form of uh, an increase in our EPS. But we would also take some of those proceeds and invest it in our strategy. And our strategy is to continue to accelerate growth and to improve our operations, so that is our plan. We're, we'll, we'll roll it out when we announce our guidance for 2018. But we're we're encouraged about the opportunity.
0: Right. We'll get an update on the company February one. I think you, that's when you guys uh, do your yeah.
6: latest quarterly report. But so,
1: so you stick by that. So now that you've seen, you know, what what comes to pass, you're either going to do a share buyback or invest in the company.
6: Well, we're going to invest in the company for sure, and we already have a very balanced approach to capital deployment. Uh, we returned re- majority of our free cash flow to our shareholders, and that's in the form of a dividend as well as share buyback. So we've consistently been doing that over the past five years. And then the remaining cash we've used for acquisitions since we're consolidating this marketplace. And our strategy calls for us to acquire about 1% to 2% of top-line revenue growth per year. And then also we have to invest in capital uh, to fund our, our investments in the operations. So those four areas that are we'll continue to invest our capital uh, in 2018. All right. So
1: let me, let me, let's leave acquisitions outside of that. Let's assume that you try to find the best companies to buy at the cheapest prices and, and don't make mistakes. And don't we all want to do that? But let's look at something else. What kind of thing is the governor of a decision whether or not to do a share buyback? What would, what, 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 how do you make that decision?
6: Well, so our, our governor is the best return for our shareholders.
1: Right, right. And but when so looking we're at the situation. Do you, do you, does that mean if you're doing a share buyback, you think your share price is depressed?
6: Well, it's a, a balanced approach where we actually believe that some of these opportunities to invest our uh, cash in acquisitions have very nice returns. Uh, matter of fact, the, the acquisitions we generally do uh, justify themselves entirely on cost synergies, so, they're highly attractive and accretive to our shareholders. And a lot of this is dependent on where, whether we have those opportunities or not within a given year. Uh, but we've been consistently uh, paying a dividend. Uh, we've been consistently buying back shares. Again, consistent with that strategy return of returning the majority of our free cash flow to our shareholders. But some of what we do with cash is very time dependent within that fiscal year based on the opportunities at hand.
0: I am curious too about, um, Steve, the vertical integration that we're seeing among the healthcare community, healthcare services community, CVS, of, and of course tying together a drug chain, uh, a, a pharmacy okay. benefits manager, and an insurer. Your biggest competitor, LabCorp, acquired um, a CRO, a contract research organization, I think a few years back, in an effort right. to kind of diversify. Does it make sense for Quest to stay a standalone clinical lab and just got about 50 seconds here?
6: Well, our our strategy has been to focus on what our core business is, which is diagnostic information services. So actually, over the past three years, we've divested uh, from our products business and focused entirely on diagnostic information services. The acquisitions we've done have been in that space, Mm -hmm. and we believe that creates a nice value opportunity for our shareholders.
0: What about in just thirty seconds more? In terms of everyone's commitment or moves to try and cut healthcare costs, what can you guys do specifically on that front? Twenty-five seconds. Forgive me.
6: Well, we're, we're the largest diagnostic information services company. Uh, healthcare is all about scale, and we're the largest. And so, uh, as part of our strategy, which has been to drive operational excellence, we've been getting more efficient, and with that efficiency, but providing better quality and better service at the same time.
0: All right. We're going to have to leave it on that note. Um, Great to get some time with you. Good luck at the conference. Yeah. Thank you. Steve Ruskowski, he is chief executive officer of Quest Diagnostics. $13.6 billion in market cap stock uh, gained about 7% in 2017, this year already up 2.7%. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or
1: Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 o'clock Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. And follow us on Twitter. She's at Carol Masser, and I'm at Corey TV.